and welcome to the Fortress of Comic News, episode 157. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside Mike. Mike, how's quarantine life? It's a... Yeah, it's um, it's something I tell you. I haven't left in a couple days, probably over a couple days. Um, well, considering it is you know, it's the weekend right now, but I don't know. It's just getting worse and worse out there. More cases, more testing. These people that are being tested that they're finding the cases of could have probably had it already with no not showing symptoms. I don't know. I'm trying not to worry too much about it, but. Where I am in the Berkshire area, all the um, all the people from New York City that don't want to be in the city because they chose to live in a city, and they're very close to other people, are traveling like up to the Berkshires now. So Fun. it's kind of like, yeah, it's like becoming like a War of the Worlds scene or something where everybody starts like migrating and flooding an area, and that's dude, it it spreads quickly, man. Like, and it was a terrible week to read the Resistance by J. Michael Straczynski because. That's literally the whole issue is about this. And I was like, man, I, I almost had to stop reading it. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is too real, man. Like, uh, I'm like, I can't believe they released that book when they did, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than, I mean, how's quarantine for you, Chris? Um, it, it's called the weekend for me. Uh, yeah. Right. Work resumes as is. I am quote unquote necessary labor. And, uh, so it's just a weekend. Yeah. I'm not in quarantine life. I don't think I will be. I mean, you are necessary labor. I mean, there's I I've been to the grocery store like three times more than I've ever been in one week. So like those shelves need to be stocked. We need product on the shelves, man. I'll tell you the amount of water I've sold this past week is outrageous. Oh, so. it, yeah. That's the one thing I don't like. We talked about toilet paper last week and this week we'll talk about water. Do people think that the like the, there's a guy who presses a button to turn the water on and off and like he gets vi- the virus and passes away and then there's nobody to turn the button to turn your water on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do they think it works? Like, I, you know, I, it is? I don't. I'm going to share a, a secret with our audience because I don't know if a lot of people know about this yet, but there's this thing. Um, it's called a sink. Yeah. It's what? Most of you have it in your kitchen. Some in the bathroom as well. Um, and then there's this little hose on top of it with two knobs. Sometimes it's one, but usually it's two. And uh, if you flip those knobs, water comes out of it. What? <laughs> Golly gee, no fooling? <laughs> yeah, I don't what's know. Fr- it, yeah. What's frustrating for me is that like my mother-in-law had, lives on well water, and it's like well water that's not good. And right. it's she's been going test, uh, getting it tested for a while now, uh-huh. uh, trying to get it fixed. So like she legitimately needs water. Right. And like legitimately should be hoarding water. And we've been going out and buying a shitload just because every time we see it, we're like, okay. Or, you know, in my work, I can buy it from work too. I'm just like, okay, she needs water. So we've been buying it. But it's like, you know, there's other people like that out there. And all these people are buying it out when they have perfectly good faucets. It's like, yeah. It's back to the toilet paper thing. It's to calm down a little bit. Like it's not the apocalypse. (laughs) Right. Oh, no. So give it till next week. It might be. Um, but today on the show, we still have guests because, hey, what better excuse to say you've been quarantined to get them to jump on the show with us? You know what I mean? That we know they're not going anywhere. Um, I saw and, that video of uh, Sam Smith crying. I don't know if you did, but man. And we, we practice social distancing 24-7, so people yeah. love coming here. Experts at it. Um, yeah, Matt Hawkins will be joining us on the show today. Um, writer at Image Comics, so we'll be talking with him. 
in just a little bit. But first, we'll just jump through the news here. Um, yeah, TV news. Uh, Chris is excited about this. Ashoka Tana has been cast for Mandalorian Season 2. And Rosario Dawson will play the Jedi. <laughs> I, oh, yes, that's awesome, right? I think that's cool. That's- it's huge. Um, yeah. Rosario is like a big fan of the character, apparently, and people yeah. have been petitioning to have her do it. And then there was like there was a lot of things going around, to, like you know, people doing the math and during the Mandalorian, Rosario Dawson would be the perfect age. Right. So uh, this is great um, to get that character out to more people and to have like a great actress playing that character. I'm so excited to see what she's like in that show. Yeah, and plus we know she's on the Marvel docket. She's already like the night nurse of Marvel, pretty much, right? Or the the Disney docket. Oh yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. If you go back to um that show, there's a lot of characters in there that are from like Disney or Marvel mm-hmm. shows because yeah, they're you know in the Disney family, so it works. Yeah. yeah, I've been waiting for them to like give her a awesome uh like s- strong badass female character within one of those universes, and finally we got it. So, yeah, and Ahsoka has been one that's been in animation for a long time and mm-hmm. she's got her own book. Um, I think she showed up in a few comics, but to get live action for a character that's so beloved, I'm super excited about this. Harley Quinn season two trailer released alongside with the date Friday, April 3rd. So uh, a couple weeks. Yeah, I guess I guess it's pretty popular. It wasn't for me. It was too. I don't know. I, I, to watch a DC cartoon when they're like dropping F-bombs every second is kind of strange to me, but. Um, yeah it um do you remember when they were gonna do like danny glover was gonna do a deadpool cartoon yeah yeah it feels like that's what this is is like a reaction to that and that obviously never happened Mm -hmm. um i know my missus love that show she's a big harley quinn nut Mm -hmm. but uh i yeah i didn't watch much of it so i can't say much but yeah good for the harley quinn fans that there's gonna be a new season yeah it seems weird that's so quick too didn't it just end yeah, I think so. I think a lot of stuff's getting released early and coming out of theaters and because of the whole quarantine thing. Yeah. Um, AMC, AMC has announced it will postpone the release of Walking Dead World Beyond to a time later in 2020. Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of this happen. Movies are being delayed. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Wonder Woman's next up on the slate here. It's uh, Yeah, this... Uh, uh, tv as well but yeah this show um i don't really know why it would be postponed like i don't have a good answer for it they kept saying covid19 but they're probably still shooting it i think uh, yeah this this might be an excuse to do it but it seems like this would be a better time to release it because i'm hearing more and more people talk about like all the stuff they're watching on netflix and all the shows they're catching up on and this and that right now right because right. it's just a way to kind of get away from this whole thing. So it seems like it'd be a perfect time to release something like this. But here we are. Yep. Uh, Walking Dead. Speaking of Walking Dead, you're still watching it? Yeah, last episode was really great. Um, so it's, you know, hilltops burned down. And, and we're kind of in that moment where everybody's scattered and trying to figure out what to do next. Um, so there's a lot of, like one-off little mini stories of like these people are off doing this and you know these people are off and they help the kids and so on and so forth but the big like the b story which is actually kind of the a story in my opinion 
was all was about the whispers and the things that Negan's been doing. Mm. And you know, Negan's been helping out uh, Alpha a lot and he comes to her and says, like, I found your daughter and I've got her stored away somewhere. And we have finding out that it was just a, a ruse. He didn't really have her um, tied up anywhere for uh, Alpha. And he ends up killing Alpha. Um, mm. It was a pretty intense moment. Like the, the whole sequence leading up to it where Negan kind of tells the story from the Here's Negan um, graphic mm. novel of his mm-hmm. wife and everything. Yep. Um, and them having a little moment and then he just kind of slits her throat. And it's always irks me out because that's the last, pl- uh, last way I'd want to die is for someone mm-hmm. to slit my throat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. And, uh, then at the end we see Alpha's head, uh, roll across the ground and standing on the other end is Carol. And oh. apparently Carol Negan had a pact. And we're working together the whole time. And then it just cuts to black. So it was like a really, hmm. really good episode. Some intense moments. But then that ending, I literally said out loud, like, what the fuck? Like, is this, <laughs> this better not be the last episode. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I really liked it. Uh, Clone Wars, you're still watching that? Uh, speaking of Ahsoka Tana, it was yeah. an Ahsoka Tana heavy episode of her yeah. going down to 1313. Mm. And, uh, you know, kind of having an adventure down there good episode um once again though it's with everything with this show it's season seven if you haven't seen the other seasons to lead up to where she is her being down in 1313 and doing what she's doing doesn't make sense because there's a lot of lead up to things that happened to her in like season five and six that brought her to this moment but good episode uh, an ahsoka tana heavy episode is a good one it's kind of like Randy Marsh in South Park. When Randy shows up, you know it's going to be a good episode. It's going to be a good episode. You're like, oh, <laughs> shit, here we go again. Um, yeah, the, all the memorable episodes are the Randy ones. Uh, yeah, so what I, I, I'm actually finishing up um, Castlevania on Netflix. i almost done with season two. It's a really good show. I mean, the animation quality and just like the choreography for the fighting and all that stuff's pretty awesome. Uh, I finished The Kingdom as well season two that just came out crazy it's it's weird how it all ended like they wrapped up like the prince's uh takes back his the uh the prince of well his his quote-unquote mother is you know ruling the kingdom using zombies to for like the political influence and then she she can't have a child herself so there's this big conspiracy where the queen is like uh stealing babies from like uh den mother like like having women like pregnant women stay at the palace and she's like stealing their babies until she gets a son and like calling it hers so there's like all this crazy stuff going on um it all resolves big battle with zombies and there's like this big ep- they they basically do like the night king fight but they do it way better than the uh, last season of game of thrones there's like they go out on the ice and all the zombies are like rushing at them and they like there's like a last ditch effort to like break the ice and like have all the zombies fall through the ice, but as as this is happening, like main characters are being bitten by zombies and and like scratched by zombies. So you know, like oh, all the main characters are dead. But what we find out earlier in the episode is that um, submerging the um, the people that have just been bitten or like scratched underwater forces the parasite that turns them into a zombie like out of their body. Like it kills it if you just drown it in water. So as they're like falling into the ice water, all the zombies. They they don't like water, so like all the they're all the main characters that were infected basically 
are cured and they they survive the night. But then there was a jump forward. The interesting thing is like I'm like, oh well, where do they go from here? There's a jump forward where they um the new kid is uh is is a king, the one that was stolen by the queen is now like the prince that's gonna be a king. And the the actual prince who saved the kingdom is in search of the person that started the outbreak with the zombies. And as they get they find this like weird laboratory because this is still like ancient, you know, um, ancient times. So there isn't any technology around except for like maybe a gunpowder gunpowder rifle or something. But they find this like weird alchemy lab thing with with zombies chained up and stuff that's in another part of uh, Japan. And it ends. They find this like woman who's like a bounty hunter she looks like about it like she's wearing a trench coat with like swords and stuff and that's how the season ends and i didn't know who the character was but i'm sure if you read the manga because it is a um the kingdom is a manga that uh uh that it's probably explained a little bit more there but it was it was really good this is a good season it was only like six episodes too it's very quick um but yeah other than that i mean i gotta catch up on flash still but i guess we'll just head over to the movie news um this is pretty cool for chris i know he's excited about this Peyton Reed teases the appearance of Modoc in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, so Peyton Reed, the guy who's going to do Ant-Man 3, and I yep. believe he did Ant-Man the Wasp, uh, said that John Hodge- Hodgman has been like campaigning real hard to play Modoc. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they, they said that there's, there's something coming in the near future for um, John to play. So... We'll see. If they do Modoc, I'm going to freak out. Like I'm, I'm literally going to freak. You're going to hear me from yeah. there. I don't care if there's a quarantine. I'm going to the movie theater to see that Dude. movie. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we're not open. I don't care. I'm just going to sit open here until you open. Open the damn door. <laughs> I'm going to sit here till you open. We're not open, sir. I'm going to sit here. <laughs> sir, please leave. Okay. <laughs> Modoc! <laughs> the missus drives up. She's like, you're scaring the children, Chris! Modoc! <laughs> You can take me away, but you'll never take my mother. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, if that happens, I seriously, I'll freak out. I, I, that's like that's like me that. get like when they tease like Owl Man will show up at the end of the Batman trilogy. I'll be like, oh my god, <laughs> dude, that's one for me too. Like if if uh, if the Crime Syndicate was like oh. the. Like if they decided to redo Justice League, and like we're gonna do the Crime Syndicate, yeah. I would be right there with you. Like I'm like, not as it... big a fan, but I do right. love the Crime Syndicate. But wouldn't that be interesting though? Like side, we're we're taking a sidebar quick. I know we got a great interview to get to, but <laughs> uh, think about it. Like what you know, we always talk about these stakes of every superhero movie. It's all been done before, and it's all way too. The stakes are too high. The universe is in danger. The Earth is gonna crash and die. But like. What if they just the main the main like trilogy villain is just a evil version of Justice League, and it's like they just keep getting thwarted. You know what I mean? They're just always one step ahead. Like, wouldn't everyone love to see that? Like the first movie, you do the opposite origins of all the heroes because you love origins so much. Um, they they or like we get a whole second movie that's completely in the world of the crime syndicate. Like the whole half of the movie. Like we understand that like they always fail, and that's why they're evil and. Dude, and then and then we start rooting for the crime syndicate. Like you feel bad for them, and then the third movie, bam! You don't know who to root for because they're fighting each other. But you feel bad for the crime syndicate. Owlman has got a badass suit. How can you not love him? Lois Lane is Power Woman. Come on. The only sequence I want is um, what's Superman? Power Man? Ultraman. Ultraman. That's right. Okay. The only scene I want, if this ever happens, is that scene where 
in, uh, just like in Scarface, where he's got a yeah. giant pile of cocaine, I want yeah. Ultraman sitting there with a giant pile of kryptonite, just going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anybody doesn't know, that's how that's how Ultraman gets his powers because he's also Superman. He he ingests kryptonite. I don't. He definitely doesn't need to snort it, but you know Grant Morrison's crazy, so um, that'll happen. But yeah, I don't. I we I don't know what we got from Modok to there, but. Take her ideas, DC, Marvel, do something with it. Uh, Black Widow's release gets pushed due to theater theaters closing around the world. We kind of knew this was going to happen. Um, there's nowhere to show the movie. I Honestly, I saw Amazon release the thing today. You can see movies in theaters. Like You have to pay for it, but there's like a, I don't know if it's an additional subscription service or you pay for the movies. So we might start seeing that happen. Like, there's been talk about this with, around like you know people that revolve around like future, futurology and all that stuff of like, when are we going to go to the digital age of like movies released to homes, you know, streaming service. And we might see that roll out a lot sooner than we thought because of this whole, there, there's never really been a demand for it. Right. And now huge demand. And yeah. it's not, and not even from the fans, it's from the, it's from the studios that invested in these products and now they can't, they can't show black widow anywhere and they just dropped millions of dollars making it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And it's not in our notes cause it got kind of, confusing but like there was a rumor going around that wonder woman was talking about it and then a reverse rumor that said that no they're committed to a theatrical release but like that's a possibility and then you're seeing like onward came out um disney plus and um i believe it's the next we can jump right into it but bloodshot coming out early digitally um well that didn't that wasn't a good movie but (laughs) did you go see it no i just heard bad things Oh, uh, I have low expectations of it because yeah. A, it's a Vin Diesel movie, and B, <laughs> as long as it's Groundhog Day with killing, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm probably gonna watch it, even though um, I mean, I, I I know a comic fan that watched it and said it had nothing to do with the comic, so why even make it a Bloodshot movie kind of thing? But yeah, I, that's another thing is I've never read a Bloodshot comic in my life. Same, I don't know either, but I, yeah. So, um, but like. It, this could be a testing ground. Maybe they're thinking, hey, let's see. And if people go out and pay for the digital release and we make our money back or make more money, like then who gives a fuck about the theater release anymore? Right. There's ramifications from that, but we won't get into those. But it, yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, there's an outcry for Black Widow to do the same. And I wouldn't mind it. I mean, I like going to the theater, but at the same time, I wouldn't mind just sitting in my house. <laughs> and continuing to be a recluse that never leaves. Yeah, I mean, this is it's great. I, I I guess if it's not great, I keep telling myself it is <laughs> until I believe it. Uh, there's uh, other humans here, and there's like a couple cats and a tortoise, and so tortoise. when I get bored, I can. Oh yeah, we have a tortoise. I haven't told you this. We have a tortoise. Her name is do you, April. Do you brush the shell with like a toothbrush? Isn't that what you do? Do you have to brush the shell? It's the Mrs. Job. It's her oh. tortoise. I bought it for. Anyways, okay, we're gonna jump to this awesome interview with Matt Hawkins, Image Comics. Um, sorry to put you all through that, and we'll see everybody on the other side. Welcome back, everybody. Today we have another very special guest for you, Mr. Matt Hawkins. Welcome to the show, Matt. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for being here, man. And uh, you know, the the quarantine kind of helps us with these interviews because we know people aren't really going anywhere. So. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm stuck at home here in Los Angeles. Uh, fortunately, I, I I like where I live. You know? Yeah, yeah. There, there's probably worse places to be. I would I would assume. I don't know, but 
Um, yeah, let's just jump right into it. I mean, you've been you've been doing this for quite a bit, quite some time. Uh, you have some pretty awesome books out in the market today. But let's let's talk about your origin story. What got you into comics? Uh, were you always reading at an early age, and when did you start writing? Well, here is the part where when I explain this story, most people that have wanted to write comic books their whole life uh, cringe their sphincters up and hate me because, <laughs> no, I did not read comics when I was a kid. Ah, oh, all right. I'll see really you later. any interest in them. Yeah. Um, I, I was at the physics program at UCLA working on my master's, um, and oh. I was working retail banking, which is the worst job on the planet, and um, <laughs> hated what I was doing. Uh, and then... My nephew, who's 13 years younger than me, wanted to go meet Rob Liefeld at a signing at Mile High Comics in Anaheim, California. I did not know who Rob Liefeld was. This was April of 1993. So I took my nephew on a Saturday down to meet Rob, and I saw eight young, good-looking guys with eight young, really attractive women. And it looked like they were having a really good time. And, And, you know... I don't know how much you know about physics and, and the master's program of physics, but uh, you're talking 30 hours of classwork, probably another 30 hours of lab work, another 30 to 40 hours of homework. Mm. You know, on top of I was working a full-time job to pay my way through school. So my life sucked, and I was not <laughs> around a lot of attractive younger people. Yeah. So when I, got, when I met Rob and these people, see, here, here's the other part of that equation I didn't tell you in terms of my origin. There were three artists in front of me. Andy mm. Park, John Sabal, and Cedric Nocon, mm-hmm. all three notable artists in the field today, you know, and um, the entire time I was in this long line, three-hour line, I mean, I had no idea people would wait three hours for the guy that had the button 501 Blue commercial. I mean, who, who knew, <laughs> right? And, uh, <laughs> and so I wait in this long line. I meet this guy. He hires these three artists right in front of me. And I, I, I tell, I have two, you know, my, my sons are 18 and 20, so they're adult mm-hmm. sons. And I tell them this all the time. I said, I don't know why there's two or three times in my lifetime where the universe has opened a door for me mm-hmm. and allowed me into something potentially special. And the difference is I took it. I knocked on that door. I stepped through it. I, 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 I saw an opportunity and I grabbed it. And I think so, so many people don't see that because when, when these three artists all got hired on the spot right in front of me, I just on an instinct, I said, Rob, you know, look, I, I gotta be honest, hardworking guy, you hiring for anything else? And he's like, I need someone to write press releases for me or do letters pages. I didn't know what a letters page was, but I knew what a press release was. And I said, I'm your guy. And I'd never done any sort of work like that before in my life. So mm-hmm. I'll never forget. He gave me his card. I went to, uh, there was a crown books. I think it was called down the street, bought a book called how to write a press release. I wrote a press release for him about the event that we were at. Like if I was wow. sending it out to the local press, like, oh, there's a store signing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I faxed it to him that night. He hired me the next day. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Uh, 28 years ago. I mean, wow. that would have been eight, April of 1993. Wow. You know? And so uh, my segue into writing comics came because uh, as Rob, uh, when I started, Eric Stevenson had only worked there for like three weeks. So he and I became sort of... Mm. Uh, competitors in a weird way because he he got the image line of books and I got what was called later the maximum press line of books which was Battlestar Galactica, eventually mm-hmm. and and those um, and uh, so I became an editor and and one of my first editorial gigs was editing Alan Moore which as a 23 year old guy who doesn't know how to write and didn't know shit I think I felt editing Alan Moore at age 23 I just wow. 
Thank you, God. <laughs> <laughs> did they tell did they tell Alan Moore that is the question though? <laughs> well, I you know, I, I at some point when you're working with writers who are masterful and you read their stuff and it's great, you, you don't need to give them notes. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So I, I technically I'm listed at his uh, as his editor. Um, I was more his trafficker. I always say I managed <laughs> that project trafficking pages around, but I did not offer any story notes yeah. uh, of any kind. So <laughs> What know. do you even tell Alan Moore? <laughs> a little less dystopian this time. <laughs> no, he, you know, I have to tell you, I, I've not talked to Alan in a while, but mm-hmm. uh, he was actually quite pleasant to talk to, very professional. You know, he was very considerate of the fact that he's a he was a 50-year-old legend talking to a 25-year-old novice who was mm-hmm. technically his boss, but not really. You know what I mean? I mean, it was, right. it, it, was really, it was really kind of surreal, you know, when you deal with that stuff. And for me... It was Alan Moore that made the difference between my decision to stay in comics and my absolutely going and doing something else in my life because um, I read From Hell and the research done in it. I read Watchmen and the research done to it. And all these books that Alan had done, they were just so well thought out, so adult in nature. I started seeing comics as something more than kitty shit. You know, I, I even for the first couple of years I worked in it, I, I thought of it as kitty shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I realized, no, there's a lot of really sophisticated stuff. You know, I mean, comic books are just like novels. You know, there's something for everyone. And I think that's one of the things I try to convey to people is that there really is something for, for everyone. You know, I, 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 it annoys me when people don't think they like comics. You know, how often have you heard people say, I used to read comics? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you ever heard someone say, I used to watch movies or I used to watch TV <laughs> yeah, or I right. used to read books? No yep. one fucking says that. You know, I don't, I, why is it I used to read comics? You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a part of our entertainment lexicon. I don't know. Well, I, I find that annoying. Yeah, but I think that's why the stuff I write, uh, even even the the more smutty stuff, it's that's not for kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd ever write well for kids, even though I did work on the Power Rangers. The that's why I, Power Rangers are awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> That's why I think Walking Dead there at Image was a big one because even when people are like, I used to read comics, I handed them the first couple of trades of Walking Dead and they came back a few days later like, do you have more? Yeah. Um, well, that's like, I have a book like Think Tank, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Oh, yeah. I yep, yep. scientists who read that book mm-hmm. and they like it because it's, it's, it's sort of, at least it makes an attempt to be scientifically accurate, you know? Right. And, yeah. Um, so, my, oh. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I need you to confirm or deny something for me because someone who actually knows Alan Moore. I've always had this theory about Alan Moore. I've listened to a few of his interviews and I've read a lot of the stuff he does and a lot of the perception about him as a person around the industry and the world. And I've seen that like his words in print come off very kind of hostile. But when you listen to the man, he almost sounds like he has a dry sense of humor. And some of the things he's saying that come off hostile in print are him kind of making a joke. Is that how the man is in real life? Like, or is this something that I've made up my head to justify? <laughs> no, I think, I think, I think you're right. I, um, I also have a very dry sense of humor. So Alan, uh, often when I was on the phone with him, would make me laugh. Mm-hmm. I think if you don't have that sort of, uh, sort of that ironic satirical wit, um, which requires honestly a little more intelligence to understand, you know, like the few of us that are into Monty Python and Black mm-hmm. Adder, you know, we, mm-hmm. we know we're smarter than those other fuckers, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It so, it's a higher level of thinking, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need you need high level critical thinking to think that shit's fun. Yeah, if you yeah. do, you're fucking cool like us. Yeah, you don't yeah. Don't fuck off. Yeah, but, uh, right, exactly. 
<laughs> That's amazing. But, I love it. No, I, I, I think Alan does have a sense of humor. You know, um, I, I have never met him in person. Um, mm. There have been a few times where I've been on the phone with him. Honestly, I couldn't tell if he was trolling me or not. Mm. You know, where like he would say something about the white room and how the magicians all collect there. And I couldn't tell if it was a stick about him and modern magic and that he really believes it or, or, or oh wait, I just mixed that up. Whether it was a stick or he really believes it, you know, right. you know how people mm-hmm. kind of fit into that thing. And, and Alan is, Alan's one of those guys. I've only met a handful of people in my lifetime where I just love talking to them. Cause even being in their presence and talking to them for half an hour, I feel like I learned something significant, mm-hmm. you know, There's, so few people in my life that do that for me that uh, I cherish the ones that do, and he was definitely one. Well, let's uh, let's circle back to Think Tank really quick because I remember, um, and I, I was and I was seeing issues of that at at the time when I you know was back. I I used to get my books at the you know the the local comic shop when I was around and um, talk about books. But that was one that caught my eye too because, like you said, you have scientists and stuff reading it, and me, I was in engineering school. Um, I'm a chemical engineer, like you said, you're a physicist uh, doing physics. And for me, I was I was reading stuff like that, like Manhattan Projects, and I was like, wow, like you know, this is pretty cool that there's a whole scientific sci-fi aspect to comics as well. I mean, it's not just people in capes anymore. Like we're talking about real shit, you know, real science and research. Well, I think that's that's something that's kind of opened up because you see a lot more companies like Dark Horse or Image were hiring novelists and, and other mm-hmm. writers to develop content and and do original stuff. I mean. You know, there's, there's guys like Andy Weir, who I knew when he was still at NASA before he wrote The Martian or Artemis or any of those mm-hmm. things. You know, mm-hmm. nice, smart guy. And, and, and uh, I'm glad. There's a weird thing amongst us uh, closet scientists, and I don't claim to be an actual scientist because I never actually did anything. So I never did any research. <laughs> right. You know, I wrote, a, I wrote a paper in college that got published, but outside of that, I never did shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a real scientist. However, okay. there's a lot of real scientists like Andy who worked on the Juno project, who worked on the yeah. space shuttle, you know, who wrote the Martian and wrote Artemis, who's who's a real, you know, legitimate guy. And uh, I'm just, I think a lot of us uh, that we meet, we try to clandestinely educate while we entertain. You know, I mean, mm. that's kind of the idea of it because I think a lot of us, you know, I'm a 50 year old guy. I look back to my youth at Ray Bradbury. I look at you know Robert Heinlein. I look at uh, as Gazimov and a lot of these these artists and writers I knew as a kid that uh, I learned so much from, you know, and that this these amazing stories they wrote that really sort of sparked my intellectual curiosity and, and made all the difference. And not just you know not just books but films. I remember I remember uh, Dead Poet Society profoundly affecting me, you know, because of like mm-hmm. I never really thought about the idea of seas today, the cold carpe diem of it all, you know. And mm-hmm. when you really sort of think about that, it it changes how you look at life. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, and let's let's talk about we got out the, like you know current books. You have post, uh, well, not post of the clock and uh, swing, string. Yeah. So swing. let's talk about <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, swing. So let's talk about those two books. Um, they're completely different, like you said. I didn't even know about swing, but now now reading up on it, I'm probably going to be checking it out. But let's start with the clock. Let's well, give us the rundown on what the clock is. Well, the clock is amazingly coronavirus friendly because it's essentially about <laughs> the uh, weaponization of cancer. Oh, okay. And how there's the eugenics conspiracy thriller sort of spreading cancer around the globe, but it appears to be to most people as a virus. So there's this 
global epidemic of expansion of cancer rates all over the planet. And the crazy thing is I wrote this first issue five years ago. And it was after I went to a biotech community uh, uh, conference here in Los Angeles and met a bunch of immunotherapists and started asking them if it was possible to give people cancer for fun. And uh, these are the kind of questions they're not used to getting, you know. <laughs> I explained to them, I'm a writer, so, you know, these right. are the kind of questions I like to ask. Yeah. So that, that's the best thing ever, by the way, being a writer, because I've gotten into so many places. Like, <laughs> you would not even believe. You want to go, you want to go tour the Los Angeles County morgue? You can, you know, you just go through the writer's office of entertainment and you tell them this is what you do. You have a couple published credits, doesn't matter what it is. You can go visit ride-alongs anywhere. It, it, wow. It, Did you hear that's that, the one awesome part about being a writer. I, I got to yeah. tell you, it's fun. So. Chris is taking notes right now for research. <laughs> no, it's fine. Let him in. He's a writer. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah, yeah. All good. I realize. So uh, that's an ongoing book right now. Yeah, it's a, actually, it's a it's a four issue miniseries, but the second issue just came out. The third issue should be out in a couple of weeks. So I just finished it. It's uh, I'm writing it. Colleen Dorn is the artist. Uh, she most recently worked on that troll book with Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. She did that. Uh, she did another book with with uh, Warren Ellis um, and another thing with Derek Robertson. So no 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 pressure. I just work with all these top tier writers <laughs> like their, in their class. You know. Yeah. So I I read the first issue. Um, I think the second issue came out when I uh, got when I hurt my back and I was out of work. But I remember the first issue being like very centered around the researchers, right? And them trying to figure out what's going on. Is that the story going forward with this? That like you want to focus on the guys on the ground trying to figure out how to solve this issue? Yes, I I have always been a a fan of world building and having like uh, enormous world shattering consequencing events. One of the problems I always have with a lot of films and a lot of uh, big budget movies is that they will often focus on too much stuff on too broad of a level. Um, you know, you really need to focus on uh, characters and family and, and explain to the common person why this matters and how it affects them and why they should give a shit. You know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you only focus on, you know, the U.S. Navy's response to it or, or whatever on some sort of a more macro level, it, n it doesn't have the same resonance with the uh, the readers. And they uh, they need to connect on that sort of emotional level. You know, I always think there's there's three levels to everything. There's the physical level, the emotional level, and the intellectual level. You need to, you need to figure out all three. It's key to everything. Yeah, and that's what really interested me about it was when I first picked it up. Um, sitting there and being like, I've never... And like I say, it's never been done, but I can't remember somewhere where they focus on such a big event, but then went in on the people in arguably the most boring job of it all, which was trying to go from place to place and figure out what's going on. And that really intrigued me because it's just it's something new and it's also very important today because of what's going on. Um, I, I thought it was a great concept to get it going. So it's like um I wrote, I wrote, like I said, I wrote that first issue five years ago. I think it was after I watched Contagion again. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I have an idea for this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that's where that came from. And it's just odd timing that this, this coronavirus stuff is all happening right now. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. honestly, it was because uh, Colleen, was, she had to finish her, her uh, Warren before she could start mine. And, you know, I don't know, who am I to out, you know, cue Warren Ellis. Well, <laughs> yeah, we talked about it. Well, and the flow of the show, it's going to be later in the show, but um, 
there was a few books this week that were just like a little bit too on the nose yeah. <laughs> and and there's been a couple of books in some of the media we've been watching it just it's coincidence but it's it's kind of ironic how art imitates life and life imitates art mm. well you know for me it's been the story of my career like with think tank and a lot of these books the truth is i'm not i'm not any sort of savant or have any special knowledge i can just read the science journals that's mm-hmm. it and the science journals don't filter down to regular media for two or three years. That's mm-hmm. long enough for me to put out a mini series about the worst case scenario, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. that's been honestly my career. I mean, that's that's how I made Stairway. That's how I mm-hmm. made Golgotha. Think Tank. All these books that have kind of found this sort of uh, hardcore science fiction audience. That's where all the ideas came from. I was just scrolling through these, you know, the, the American physical papers or, mm-hmm. or nature magazine, one of these really dark, dry magazines. And I'll come across this concept where it's like, uh, Oh, these two Harvard researchers were able to record a video onto someone's DNA. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, you know, and after yeah. reading like six hours of stuff, that's like boring as fuck. And then you're <laughs> suddenly reading about how, you know, you can record video on someone's DNA, meaning yeah. I can download shit into your body. Right, right. And then recover it later as the mm-hmm. and so spy politics, all mm-hmm. these things start popping up in my mind. You know, yep. you can walk in with a, a copy of Ferris Bueller's Day Off in your bloodstream just for fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, right. <laughs> there's all these amazing sort of possibilities mm-hmm. that sort of change change everything, you know? I I, I don't know. I mean I I've been in a really weird meta sort of Zen phase of late. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm getting old. Maybe <laughs> you're getting wiser. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, well, you turn 50, and it's a really weird one because, like, 50 is one of those ages where I remember being 15 and thinking 30 was old. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, so when mm-hmm. you when you think 30 is old, then what the fuck is 50, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. So where's the where's the technical or research paper that revolves around swing? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, therein lies a, uh, a an interesting tale of me and my second wife. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, no swing. You know Sunstone. Are you guys familiar with the book called Sunstone? I have not read it, but I've heard of it. Okay. Yeah. Sunstone is uh, see. Here's the interesting thing. Like uh, it is not a book that normally people would associate with, say, Top Cow, but mm-hmm. it is Top Cow's best-selling graphic novel of all time. Okay, wow. including the early days of Image and all these sort of things, really? and so and it's about two gay women and mm-hmm. a life life S and M relationship with each other. Wow, that's what the book is about, you know. And I mean, so we had this enormous hit about something like that, and we realized the readership was mainly middle aged women, and a lot of these middle aged women would come to us at conventions because I do a lot of these conventions. Mm-hmm. And people come up to me and say, "I like this book or that book." And I would see a lot of middle-aged women coming up to me, asking me a lot of questions about Sunstone. They wouldn't be familiar with any of my other work, even though I'd been doing it for, I don't know, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But, so, Swing came out of that, because I started researching sex-positive sex subcultures. Mm-hmm. S&M was Sunstone. And I looked, and there was two S&M clubs in Los Angeles and four swinging clubs. So I'm like, you know, I did my stupid math and said, oh, there's twice the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, whatever sure. works. Yep. And uh, that's how Swing came about. Wow. That, it's, it's so interesting, too, to find out like that, that whole like 
you know, subcategory of readers that wouldn't necessarily read anything else too. And we talk about that with like horror comics and right. political stuff. And then apparently there's an SNM. I mean, it's, it's yeah. No, there's, there's an entire, like, I think there's people that read think tank. I think there's people that read postal mm-hmm. and there's definitely people that read sunstone and swing that do not read any other comic period. And mm-hmm. I meet these people cause they want to come talk to me. The thing is, is a lot of people that are into SNM or they're into swinging, they're not ashamed of it. I think that's the part where people sometimes confuse. It's like people people want to shame these people for what they do, but mm-hmm. not only are they not ashamed of it, they're kind of proud of it. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of some of the beauty of when you get into these things and understand what they're really about and get right. past the judgmental bullshit that everyone always has in their brains. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet some of these people, you realize what they're about, what they want, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just not what you think, and and. I think when you deliver something that feels authentic to them, to their community, they uh, they really celebrate it. They 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 support it like majorly, and mm-hmm. they you know they recommend it to family and friends. And I think that's why these books do so well. Yeah, I mean that's awesome. that is really cool. So uh, speaking of like people coming up to you at conventions and stuff, are you are you planning on doing any of those upcoming? Well, I had like uh, oh man, I mean I, I went and a lot of them are getting canceled. canceled. Yeah. I was supposed to be in Kansas City right now at Planet Comic Con, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. last weekend I was supposed to be in Seattle at Emerald City, next yep. weekend I'm supposed to be in Dallas, you know, yeah. I, I yeah. had seven or eight conventions pa- cancel, and it, uh, it's really just, it, it's really kind of sad for me, because it's just mm-hmm. the loss of income. Oh yeah, you know? for sure. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's just gone, which yeah. sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, Chris and I were gearing up for the start of all the con season. And where we're going to go, and now it's you know it's kind of dying out. Yeah. So I mean, do you have a uh, an online store where people can go to uh, grab some stuff from you to help you through all this? Yeah, look, I'm not in any uh, you know <laughs> I, I'm not throwing a GoFundMe. You know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not about to be tossed out on the street. So yeah, but there there are far more in need right now than me. So uh-huh. worry about those forty people before you get down to me. But you know, mm-hmm. we have the Top Cow store. Uh, dot com, which if you just request anything you buy there, if you want it signed, we signed it for you for free because we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, I mean, but I, I think more important than helping me right now is helping comic book stores in general. Mm-hmm. You know, and readership like because uh, I'm really concerned because I know a lot of comic book shops were having difficulty staying afloat as it is, and I think mm-hmm. that you know. Um, Either whether it's it's making a pull list, calling the store and seeing if they'll deliver for you, which I know a lot of them will. Um, I, I'm I'm concerned about the health of the direct market. I'm not sure it's going to survive this. Yeah, yeah. My our personal comic shop is uh, we've had a few. I'm friends with him, and we've had a few conversations about it. And his biggest worry is if he shuts down, people start buying him a Comicsology, and then hey, why go to the shop anymore? Yeah. Well, it's it's, uh, it's that experience. I mean, the comic shop experience is unique. Uh, yes. It is predominantly male. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing um, that I, I, I you realize when you get into the business of this that a lot of women don't make the weekly trip as part of their schedule. They buy their books on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, and they're used to that. And the women that are reading comics today almost all read manga fifteen years ago, twenty years ago when they were fifteen. They mm-hmm. grew up on Tokyo Pop manga, which was huge in the United States. And now they're 35, and they want more adult content that's delivered in a quality basis like the Japanese stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's why Sunstone and Swing are so successful. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy to me. I mean, I, yeah. 
I have an entire generation of women that see me as this romance author, and I don't see myself that way. That's crazy. Uh, so, I mean, if our if our viewers or fans want to follow you, where can we send them? Uh, you know, if they're on Twitter, it's Top Cow Matt. You know, M A T T on uh, Instagram, I'm Mhawk five two two two. Facebook, it's Self Loathing Narcissist. Uh, <laughs> if, if you just Google Matt Hawkins, Facebook Top Cow, you'll get you'll get all my feeds. You know, I mean, it's, they're not that hard to find. Yeah, I'm not trying to hide. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it seems like I'm trying to hide lately, but yeah. Other than that, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks Sounds again good. for being on the show, Matt. We really appreciate it, man. No, thanks for having me, and uh, you guys stay safe and and stay COVID nineteen free. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks, right. man. Oh, thanks, guys. Take care. Awesome, good stuff. Always great to talk to our favorite creators. Um, see what's going on over at Image Comics, and now let's jump to the to the uh, the thing that this podcast is based on the foundation of all that is meaningful, the comic news. I feel like I should have like the report again, yeah, but I don't. Have <laughs> um, maybe after quarantine, I'll hire a guy, but uh, <laughs> Marvel announces another empire tie-in. So Chris is going broke. Lords of empire swordsman will be written by Alex Packnittle with art by Thomas Nachlik. Um, is, are these characters, the, is Swordsman a character? I don't even know. He's a dead character, which is what makes this interesting. So Ooh. apparently he's being resurrected. Is he it's just a old, Swordsman? Basically. It's an old uh, Avengers villain who, I don't remember where he died, because, oh, yeah. but he's dead. So yeah, it's it's kind of a big deal that he's back somehow. And like you said, yeah, I did the first order for um, Empire Titans earlier today, and I already... I feel the hurt in my wallet, so that'll be fun. Um, Mar- Marvel announces an eight-annual tie-in event series called Infinite Destinies. <laughs> this series will pair up with the legacy character with a newer character in an adventure to find the Infinity Stones. So it sounds like it's going to be leading to a reboot <laughs> or something. Kind of sounds like a generational thing like DC's doing, huh? No, it sounds like something that Marvel did years ago called Generations. Right. <laughs> where they paired up the new versions of whatever character with the old version of whatever character. But it it's an affinity. I mean, I'll buy it because it's affinity. You put infinite in the name, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> Chris has already bought it. They know. It's just like you DC dorks with your crisis. Yep. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> but that said, I'm not really excited for this. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the annual tie-in thing too. That's an old, old concept. Yeah, that I'm right. really it surprised is. they're bringing back. Yeah, um, this is very sad. Free comic book day has been postponed, obviously due to the um, COVID nineteen uh, concerns. Diamond will choose to resume at a, a later date, so not announced yet. Um, I kind of. <laughs> So they had an initial thing where they were going to do like a month long free comic book day and like a couple of them are going to come out every week. And that's obviously gone away because places are not being forced to shut down. Right. Um, But I like that idea. Like I liked it initially. And for for me, it seems like our comic shop's going to stay open for whatever mm-hmm. reason. But 
the weird the thing about this is that a lot of these books like yeah the the smaller titles are just there to get noticed, but like you know, the Marvel and DC stuff is going to tie in directly to what they're doing with their events, right? So, so I'm gonna... curious to see how that works out. You might just see it released digitally in May or something. I'm almost down for that if they just release yeah. them digitally and on, on the correct day, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and then later do a uh, publishing run of them. The thing that sucks here is for retailers: a, you're probably shut down, so mm-hmm. sorry, but also, that's a huge selling day for retailers. I mean, every retailer I've ever known has a huge sale that day and sells a ton of crap. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a hit, too. But it's sad. First year without a free comic book day, at least for I now. Know. We'll see. I know. They broke the streak. I've been going, I don't know how many years. And, man, it feels bad. Um, but with that, let's talk about the comics that we did read. I'm going to start off. Because it seems kind of relevant. The Resistance, number one, J. Michael Straczynski, AWA Comics, right? AWA? Is that? Yeah. yeah. I read this as well. Um, basically, an outbreak happens a little more crazier than Corona. Uh, this one, like, gives you accelerated cancer and 95% uh, uh, kill rate, 5% survival rate. And then, it like, within two days, it, like, melts your insides. I think is kind of what they said. Um, I don't know how cancer can melt your insides, but hey, comic book science. <laughs> the uh, the whole thing it, it revolves around like how the how the world is reacting to it. So it's kind of cool to see um, the U.S. president. You know, his daughter gets it, so it's like, oh man, guess we can't avoid it anymore. You know, with our political bullcrap. Um, and then there's a time jump at the end, right? And I yes. believe it's a couple months. Yeah, so it's like basically they're celebrating the last. Uh, uh, the last case of it, right? Like the the um, there's like a big celebration to say that was so many months ago and that was our last case. But um, I don't know if they actually say how far ahead it is. I don't know. It's yeah. it, the the whole curing thing was confusing because there's like two women and they're standing, they're two sisters and they're standing there. Mm-hmm. They both have some sort of special powers. And one seems to sacrifice herself to save everybody. That's kind of how I took it. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a little section of bad writing, which is weird in the Straczynski book. Um, They might have had him. I almost think they they might have had him like alter the ending. They might. I wouldn't be surprised with the timing this is released. They might have have edited this or made him change some stuff. I don't know. It's. I mean, it's possible, but. Then they, you know, the last couple of pages, they show a bunch of different people and give like kind of one word names to them. Like it's the survivors, the hopeful, the hidden, the beautiful, the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's just showing different people Factions. who have gotten abilities through this disease. Mm. It was a good story, I thought. Um, but it was very much like set up for something else to come. Mm-hmm. Um and if you like Mike D. Dow Jr. art, which if you don't, what's wrong with you? Yeah, um, the art's really you'll good. love this book because his art is fantastic in it. Um, X-Ray Robot number one, Mike Allred with his wife Laura Allred, right? Wow, I didn't think you'd read this one. It was it was cool. I didn't, didn't think I'd read this one. Come on, it was. I didn't think stuff. you were. No, I thought you hated Allred. No, I've never really read any of his stuff. Oh, okay. I just yeah, 
Um, I, I like the, the plot synopsis of this book. It kind of revolves around this uh, extra dimensional travel and uh, like time, uh, time travel paradox, which I'm all about. Basically, a scientist, you know, goes through a, a portal that accelerates him through time, but also a copy of him is left in there as well, in, like in the lab. But then the future self comes from like 200 years in the future is like a robot now and swaps brains of the robot or is is his brain gets copied into the robot and is like, I'm from the future. You need to listen to me. It took me like 200 something years to get here. So there's definitely some weird time travel paradox going on. Um, the first time he looked into the extra dimension, he like he saw like a future of like chaos and apocalypse and stuff like that. Um, I thought it was a solid first issue, so I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. I absolutely loved it. It was like crazy all red back to mm-hmm. when he was doing Mad Men. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously a huge fan of his art. I think his art is amazing. And um, yeah, the story was cool. Like they're they pull you in with uh, we're trying to go into prove that there's other dimensions and we're going to do it through this robot and that kind of mm-hmm. twists and turns into this time travel story. So yeah, I'm very interested to see where this goes. I thought it was a fantastic first issue. Yep. Um, Dragonfly Man and Dragonfly, number five, my favorite book, uh, Tom Pear. Uh, basically, this wraps up the whole story arc where Stinger and Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man aren't really getting along. His, his Robin to his Batman, if you will. Um, Earth Alpha Stinger uh makes up with with dragonfly and this is like the 60s batman universe and there's a big celebration for drag uh for stinger and how he's how he's like the luckiest sidekick in the world blah 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 whereas the earth omega dragonfly man's uh the dark knight universe the stinger throws his costume and a suitcase of money out the window after he, he leaves he pretty much leaves and um the dragonfly man's like, well, take this with you. And it's his costume and a bunch of money and he throws it. And then later in the, uh, the end of the issue, we find this, this like girl who's like begging on the street and she finds the suitcase, um, with the costume. And she's about the same size and like age as Robin is now. So we might get like a, uh, a female stinger show up or start fighting crime on the streets with this new, with this million dollar case and costume. So it was a pretty cool ending. I thought, um, they could they could go they could go a lot of cool places with it. Batman ninety one, James Tinney and the fourth, and um, they changed artists, so I, for, I forgot who's doing the art now. But uh, basically, this whole like organizer new villain guy, uh, they say that the Joker is behind everything, kind of at the end of the issue, which surprise surprise, James Tinney loves the Joker. Um, but the interesting thing was. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. I don't know if he's the uh, the organizer. Or he's like the, supposed to be the the worst villain ever. Him and Riddler are kind of teaming up at the end, and Deathstroke realizes he's not getting paid by this guy. He's like, "Wait, so I'm not getting paid?" So him and Batman kind of team up, and then it's like Riddler's like, "Okay, now you have to face me," and that's going to be the next issue. So I'm always hyped for a Deathstroke Batman team up. Um, <laughs> I I love both those characters. So it's not a bad Batman book. Um, it's better than Miami Vice Batman, so I can't really complain. But uh, yeah, that's what I had this week, Chris. Uh, so I also had Star Wars number four, oh, I missed which that. is okay. kind of the, you know, Leia's in Carbonite and um, Leia. Lando. Yes, Leia. Oh. 
Um, yeah, sorry, Lando and Luke uh, both have to team up and save her along with a bunch of other people. It was a fun issue. It was a lot of it was Luke like rediscovering the Force and realizing that he still has a connection to it. Um, he goes to find his lightsaber and never ends up finding it. But then, like one of the um, creatures in the trash pit finds it, so there's a little hint to like who found his lightsaber and possibly where it went after that. Um, and then it ends with them, you know, escaping and going on. And Luke says that he has a destiny he has to follow. And I'm kind of hoping that that's where the book moves now is with Luke, because mm. that's one of the more interesting gaps is what Luke did after empire and how he became as powerful as he was, got a new lightsaber and did all these things and return of the Jedi. So I think that's where it's going to move. And I'm, I enjoy the first four issues. I think they're really good. Cool. Um, Deceased Unkillables, number two. Um, first of all, the most terrifying thing on the planet is a zombie mirror master. Oh, um, man. <laughs> so th- we had these two stories in the first issue, one with some heroes, one with a bunch of villains. And they end up having to come together because uh, Wonder Woman storms the villains, like, island, their solitude, and kills a bunch of them. And Mirror Master gets him out, but then he goes back to save uh, Captain Cold, and he ends up getting bitten. Mm. And then it's just, like, terrifying from there, because he pops out of mirrors and just, like, eats people. That is so awesome. Dude, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> read this. I've, you just said that, I'm reading this book. I, I, I gotta catch it's, up. It's, yeah. It's, it was great. I absolutely loved it. Um, the the back and forth between the characters they chose, like, a lot of them are D-list. Um, Deathstroke's kind of the main character, so he's obviously the A of the mm. group. But it's just a lot of fun, really great. Um, I like what they're doing. And then at the end, they tease uh, uh, one of the people that gets bit by um, Mirror Master is Bane. Mm. And so you got a giant venom-infused Bane, zombie Bane, running around. And they make the joke in this because Grundy's in it. Because they're like, well, Grundy's not a zombie. Well, not that kind of zombie. (laughs) That was my issue, the first issue. I'm like, well, Grundy's already a zombie. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's basically a zombie. Uh, Year of the Risen, Year of the Villain, Hell Risen number four. Speaking of Tinian, um, awesome issue. It's the final battle between Luther and the Batman who laughs. Luther wins and then takes the Batman who laughs to Perpetua, mm-hmm. and Batman who laughs ends up convincing Perpetua that Luther is just a lapdog and he's no use to her, mm-hmm. and turns Perpetua on Luther. Um. There's like a great sequence here where Luther's explaining why he's doing what he's doing. And when Perpetua turns on him, he realizes like, I just doomed all of humanity mm-hmm. and I got nothing out of it. Um, so now it's Perpetua and Batman who laughs together fighting uh, to destroy everything. And then this kind of sets up um, death metal. Nice. I- I think it's a good series. I know a lot of people didn't read it. It's not like the best series ever, but mm-hmm. if you read Justice League and you're into this death metal and Dark Knight's metal, I think it's a necessary read. Okay. Um, there is an explanation here as to what happened at the end of Justice League. Oh. Uh, they got sucked into an air, like something where they can bring their powers together to try to fight everything. So there is like a little bit of a clearing, cleaning up of issues from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked that. That was a good series. Like a, and then, like, what? Like a Captain Planet kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was... 
it's hard to because there was so much in this issue. I'm trying to remember exactly how they explained it, but oh, and the way that Luther like gets rid of all the evil superheroes is cool too. Like he he breaks off the connection between Batman the laughs and all them through a serum. It's weird, but I'm not going to find it here, but yeah, there's, it's not a captain planet situation. They just, they went through a portal that was going to help them like find strength to be able to fight this battle. Um, go read it if you really want to know, but I really liked it. Um, and then my last book was miracle man. Number one, or ish, sorry, book one. Mm-hmm. Um, written by the original author. It's Alan Moore, everybody. It's Alan Moore. Come on. Uh, so, anyone out there, uh, comic book rundown this Friday. So, Friday after this releases, um, I'm on it. And this is the book we did. So, I'll go into more detail on that show. But it's a really great story. It's it's them doing a Shazam story, but kind of altering it in the Alan Moore way. Um, I highly recommend it. I think it's really great. It's, I mean, Mike, you would like it. It almost has a Morrison-y feel to it, mm-hmm. where, like, think the, the wizard Shazam comes down, gives him his powers, but he ends up finding out that it was a government experiment, and they implanted all those memories into his head, and he's oh. actually been altered by alien DNA. Oh, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. So, I want to keep reading, because there's, like, two more books in the series, uh, it is a little weird because it was done in in uh, anthologies, so they're like six page stories uh, meshed together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a different read, but I thought it was really great and would highly recommend it to anybody. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Alan Moore can write comics. Yeah, he's pretty good at it. So I've heard. So Mike, uh, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Fortress Ricker on Twitter. Where can they find you and or the show, Chris? You can find the show at FortressComedyNews.com. Uh, everything we do is right there on the handy-dandy website. Um, right now, I'm asking everybody to find me at ChrisRunt.com. C-H-R-I-S-R-U-N-D-T.com. Um, go there, check out my Kickstarter. It's going to launch this Friday. Same this day Friday. Um, comic Book Rundown's coming out, and uh, we'll also have a interview-esque with me <laughs> about the project on this feed, so check that out as well. It'll have all the links on it. Um, but yeah, super nervous, super excited. If you want to give money during the apocalypse, my Kickstarter is a great place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, make sure to give the show five stars. Uh, it helps us reach more ears. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, share. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. Maybe, yeah. hopefully. Hopefully.